Yes, yeah, good to see you this morning. We're going to go ahead and get started. Um, first, I want to thank Pastor Brody for filling in for me uh, the last two weeks. And um, what a study that was on reversing the reversing the curse. And um, we took uh, we took two weeks to cover that that one lesson because it's so significant. And quite frankly, I can't think of anybody better than uh, than Pastor Brody. Uh, you know, to do that, he's always, always encouraging, uh, encouraging us, uh, younger men, uh, how to love our wives, uh, and how to uh, how to do that, to do that well. Now, there's one um, uh, one item of business we need to, to to take care of. While while I was gone, Mark Hager kept a list of everyone who wasn't here. And those who skipped the last two weeks have to wear the pink apron. That's like that, huh? It's snitches get stitches is what uh, is what they say. So that's a, that's good. No kidding. I know that life is super busy. So um, I know it's a sacrifice in one sense to be here, but um, but in another sense it's not. I mean, where else would you want to be rather than with a group of men starting your morning uh, in uh, in God's Word, right? Um, we need it. Uh, I need it. And um, I got a text, 5.50 this morning, 10 minutes before we started, from my, from my faithful mother who sets her alarm um, at uh, 5.20, I think it is, uh, every Tuesday morning. And she's praying for us right now. She does that every Tuesday. Prays for you men in particular, and um, that's one of the main reasons that God's able to do His work, which is uh, through the prayers of His people. He's pleased to do that, and uh, so we praise. I praise God uh, for how many of you um, have ever heard of uh, of Corey Ten Boom? Everybody, right? Well, we're going to talk about her a little bit before we. Before we get in our lesson this morning, we watch a little video, and then uh, then we're going to tackle the topic of cultivating forgiveness um, in the home, in particular. So to talk about forgiveness in general, but we're going to target it specifically to uh, to the home. Um, before we get there, we're going to open in prayer. So I want you to open your Bibles to Psalm 17. Psalm 17. This is a prayer. Of David, <clears throat> we were talking this past Sunday about how how the Bible has individual, separate units, but they're all connected together. So we were talking about the wisdom literature, um, how Ecclesiastes is connected to Proverbs, which is connected to Job, which is connected to Song of Solomon. And the point was, you read one without the others, you're going to get the message out of balance. Um, and uh, I am very thankful for the message uh, of the of the of the Psalms. Um, it is a it's a songbook, and so it's singing about God. And even whenever we sing on Sunday mornings or some of our some of our Christian hymns, they're not all victory in Jesus. Some of them are. Are, uh, are introspective, and, and some of them are laments. And here is a prayer of David, which is, uh, which is actually an appeal. Um, he says, Hear, 
A just cause, O Lord, give heed to my cry. So whatever David is, he's going to talk about it's He's passionate about it. He's, he's crying out to uh, to the Lord. This is not, God, please bless me. This is, Lord, I plead with you to hear me. Give ear to my prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. Let my judgment come forth from your presence. Let your eyes look with equity. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me, and you have found nothing, not, not without sin. He's talking about this specific issue. And he's saying, Lord, you know all things, and you know my heart, and you know in this matter that I'm bringing before you that, that I'm blameless. I have purposed with my mouth, I purpose that my mouth will not transgress. As for the deeds of men... By the word of your lips I have kept from the paths of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. I've called upon you, and you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my speech. Wondrously show your loving kindness. O Savior of those who take refuge at your right hand, keep, uh, or from those who rise up against them, keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who despoil me, my deadly enemies who surround me. They have closed their, their fat, literally fat heart, unfeeling heart, with the mouth, uh, with their mouth, they speak proudly. They have now surrounded us in your steps. They set their eyes to cast us down to the ground. He is like a lion that is eager to tear, and as a young lion lurking in hiding places. Arise, O Lord, confront him, bring him low. Deliver my soul from the wicked with your sword, from men with your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life. And whose belly you you fill with your treasure. They're satisfied with children and they leave their abundance to their babes. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied with your likeness whenever I wake. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for prayer. Um, 3,000 years ago, David praying, and now uh, we do the same thing, even this morning. And you've already gone before us. You've ordained this day. Um, while we will make choices and um, we'll go about this day, you have sovereignly um, declared the end from the beginning. You overwork all things. The blessing that we have as believers that you have promised to force every event, every act, every attitude, every feeling, every success, every failure. You have said that you will force all of those to obey your purposes for us. You'll use every one of those to conform us to the image of Christ. That is, that is your purpose for us. And so we praise you for that. 
We may not rejoice in our circumstances, but we rejoice in the good work that's done. And so, Father, as we begin this day, we, we cry out to you. We, we express our need. We need you. I need you even as we learn about forgiveness. We are never more like you than when we forgive, and yet it is one of the most difficult things to do whenever there is genuine hurt and genuine sin. So teach us this morning. Help us to sharpen one another. Grant us the ministry of your Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So Corey Tin Boom um, was the daughter of a, of a Dutch watchmaker. I learned something new whenever I was researching her for uh, our, our time this morning. I did not know this, but Corey Tin Boom was the first woman um, that was licensed as a watchmaker herself. Uh, in uh, in the country, I did not I did not know that. I knew her father was a watchmaker, but I did not know that she was uh, a watch a watchmaker. And uh, you've probably read or at least heard of her book, The Hiding Place, which tells the story about how she was a her her and her family were Dutch Calvinists. They were Reformed believers, and um, they believed that. The Jews were God's chosen people, and uh, that God had a special plan and a blessing for them. And so, when the Nazis invaded, um, they helped hide a number of the uh, the Jews that that were there, um, and ended up uh, at one point hiding and feeding over a hundred of them. And uh, at one time, um, the Dutch underground. Uh, resistance actually came into her and her father's home and built. Uh, they sent an architect in after they found out what they were they had been doing for a while. Actually, built a hidden room that was there and a buzzer to let everybody know if the Gestapo was was coming along. Uh, and uh, and they were part of the uh, the underground railroad there and saved a number of uh, of, of Jews. Um, she's is actually honored, her family is honored at the Righteous Among the Nations in Israel, at the Holocaust Museum in Israel. Corrie Ten Boom has a tree there, her family does. I've seen the tree, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a moving, moving experience. Um, and after they were doing that for a while, uh, there was um, another Dutch man who was an informant for the Nazis and, and turned them in. Um, and um, her and her family were arrested um, as conspirators. Her father actually died just a few days after um, the arrest. Um, they released her brother and one others after some interrogation, but uh, but but Corey and her sister um, were uh, were sent ultimately to. Uh, to a concentration camp where her sister died uh, at the hands of the um, of of the Nazis, and after she was released, she actually escaped death by a uh, um, by coincidence. Right, um, there was a clerical error on her paperwork, and she was released. I, th- I believe it was one week or two weeks. It was within a week, uh, a couple weeks. Uh, of all of the girls of her age uh, being sent to the gas chambers. 
So about a week before all of the girls in the concentration camp of her age was sent to the gas chambers, she was released because of a clerical error that, that misstated her age. And that's how she ended up uh, being, being released. Um, and after that, uh, the Lord used her in a, in a great way. And this is a testimony that she gave um, not, long, not long after that. I want you to listen to it, and we'll talk about it a little bit. Back in the concentration camp, one of the most terrible things I had to go through was that they stripped us of all our clothing, and we had to stand. The first time was the worst. I said, Betsy, I cannot bear this. And suddenly it was as if I saw Jesus at the cross. And the Bible tells they took his garments, he hanged there naked. And I knew he hanged there for me, for my sins. And by my suffering, I understood a fraction of the suffering of Jesus Christ, and it made me so thankful that I could bear my suffering. Love, so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. Some people are afraid to look at the cross. Are you? Don't be afraid. The cross is terrible. This terrible how Jesus suffered not to describe but you must not be afraid to look at it for if you had been the only person in the world Jesus should have suffered for your sins at the cross at the cross when I first saw the light and the burden of my sins rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight. And now I have guidance every day. It was some time ago that I was in Berlin. And there came a man to me and said, Ah, Mr. Baum, I am glad to see you. Don't you know me? And suddenly I saw that man. That was one of the most cruel officers, guards, in the in concentration camp. And that man said, I have, I'm now a Christian, I have found the Lord Jesus. I read my Bible and I know that there is forgiveness for all the sins of the whole world, also for my sins. I have forgiveness for the cruelties I have done. But then I have asked God's grace for an opportunity that I could ask one of my very victims forgiveness. And Fräulein Zambon, once in here forgiven, will you forgive me? And I could not. I remembered the suffering of my dying sister through him. But when I saw when I explained that I could not forgive, suddenly I knew I myself had no forgiveness.
Do you know that Jesus has said it? When you do not forgive those who have sinned against you, my heavenly Father will not forgive you your sins. I, I knew, oh, I'm not ready for Jesus' coming because I have no forgiveness for my sins. But I was not able, I could not, I could only hate him. And then I took one of these beautiful texts, one of these boundless resources, Romans 5, 5. The love of God is shed abroad into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. And I said, thank you, Jesus, that you have brought into my heart God's love through the Holy Spirit who is given to me. And thank you, Father, that your love is stronger than my hatred and unforgiveness. That same moment I was free. And I could say, brother, give me your hand. And I shook hands with him. And it was as if I felt God's love stream through my arms. You never touch so the ocean of God's love as that you forgive your enemies. Can you forgive? No. I can't either. But he can. What a powerful um, example of forgiveness. Now, I was actually looking up uh, when this took place, and um, you saw a picture of her as an old woman. When she actually ran into that guard, it was not long after Berlin was, was, was liberated. Uh, it was within five years of whenever the, that actually happened. So you're not talking about a long period of time. You're talking about a very short period of time. This wasn't an old woman that runs into an old man and then extends forgiveness. This is still a fairly young woman and a, a young guard. Um, what uh, what would you have done? I asked myself that uh, that question, and I guess for for we can't really know because we weren't there in that circumstance. I, I know what I'd like to have done. I know what my heart probably would have wanted uh, to do. Could you have forgiven that that guard? Um, and it may even have a greater impact if you go back and read the hiding place and, and see all of the atrocities that she went through and what the Nazis did in even to her, even to her sister. Well, our topic this morning is about cultivating forgiveness, not for Nazi concentration guards, but for our wives and our children and those that are actually in our home. How well do you do that? How well do you forgive whenever you are sinned against? How do you forgive? Are you the type of person that... Forgives before someone ever asks in your heart, even when someone sins against you, when your wife or your children or somebody close to you sins against you, you it hurts, you know it's a wrong, but then you immediately say something to the effect of, well, I, I know where that came from. It came from the, their flesh, or they, they did that because of X, Y, and Z in a weak moment or, or otherwise, or do you do the opposite? Do you begin to think about how you're going to repay them for what they have done. 
maybe you don't do either. Maybe you don't just automatically forgive in your heart. Maybe you don't begin to make a list of of, uh, of how you're going to make them make them pay. Maybe you just do nothing. But whenever they come to you, like this guard came to to Corey and as a as a fellow Christian and says, "I've sinned. Will you forgive me?" You you're you're grudging in doing that. You say yes, but maybe you don't even say but. You say yes, but then there's a period of time where you you actually make them pay. Not all that they owe you, but a little bit of what they owe you. You make them show that they're actually serious about the asking for forgiveness. And so the process isn't immediate. It may take a period of time. Men typically, our study says, we typically resolve conflict in a way that wouldn't honor Christ or, or build up one another. We typically resolve conflicts by overpowering. And if you become good at manipulating by your sheer maleness, then the command to be a compassionate and merciful forgiver is going to be neglected in your life and home. You're a man, and you you can use that to get your way, even in even in points of conflict. But notice what it says. There's a command as a godly man to be be a compassionate and merciful forgiver. Not just a forgiver, but a compassionate forgiver. And not just a compassionate forgiver, but a merciful forgiver. There's some qualifiers there. And if you don't learn to do that, the pattern that you you can develop will in your Christian life will devastate your Christian life and your testimony. But even to a greater extent, your marriage. Forgiveness is key. If you don't love mercy and learn to forgive, and those two things go together, your intimate walk with the Father will be harmed and by your and your conscience will be bludgeoned. Now there was a little bit of of um Translation, English translation with, with Corey. When she was talking about God not forgiving her, she was talking about the fellowship you know, component that's, that was there. In that moment, as a, as a believer, um, her fellowship was broken with, with the Lord. And she remembered Christ and what, what he had done. If you don't love mercy and learn to forgive... It's a learning process to do that. Then it will affect your relationship with the Lord, and it will harm your conscience. And look at this last statement. The greatest gift that you can give your wife and your family is to be like Jesus Christ. Agree? You're most like Christ when you forgive. And he is our example. Well, Well, how do you do that? You say... That's great for Jesus, but he's Jesus. So how do I do that? Well, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. This study will learn cultivating mercy and compassion for forgiveness are a prerequisite. Cultivating mercy and compassion, they're a prerequisite. Ecclesiastes has some prereqs. Forgiveness also has some prerequisites. If you want to be able to do it, 
uh, quickly, easily, you want to get better at it, then cultivate mercy and compassion. And we're going to talk about that. And number two, we're going to talk about overcoming the tendency to neglect true reconciliation with those who have sinned against us, which is which obviously includes forgiveness. So somebody open to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, and somebody read that for us. Stephen, thank you. And somebody else open to... Uh, Luke 17, 1 through 5. Some may be willing to read that for us. Thank you for volunteering, Mark. Luke 17, 1 through 5. Uh, Stephen's reading Ephesians. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. All right. I'm going to ask Stephen to read that again, and I want you to pay attention to the words. All right. Go ahead, Stephen. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. As God in Christ has forgiven you. It's a command to forgive. As God in Christ has forgiven you. All right? Mark 17, Luke 17, 1 through 5. He said to the disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come. But woe to the one to whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and were cast into the sea than if he would cause one little one to sin. Pay attention to yourself. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. The Lord said, he said, to seven or five? Or to five, yeah. What was the response of the disciples whenever Jesus says, forgive, and if he comes, if he sins against you seven times in a day, and he says, I repent seven times. You forgive him seven times. What was the disciples' response? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Increase my faith. <laughs> help me, Lord. I say help me, Lord, whenever I'm sinned against. I mean, when it hurts. Uh, the first time. But Jesus gives an example there of the extent of our forgiveness. Well, let's look at cultivating mercy and compassion for forgiveness. How do you learn how to forgive? Do you forgive easily? Is it something that comes naturally to you? Well, no, not in your flesh, but I mean as a believer. You want to increase your ability to forgive and forgive quickly and forgive fully. Well, cultivate. What's the word? What, what, what image comes to your mind whenever I say cultivate? I picture my grandfather in the garden behind a, a rototiller cultivating, plowing, the ground, plow the ground, cultivate mercy and compassion in your your heart. So we begin with defining forgiveness. What is forgiveness? I mean, that's the target. That's what we want to do. Well, how does the Bible define forgiveness? Let me ask you this question before we do that. How? What are some of the ways the world defines forgiveness? 
What does the world say about about forgiveness? Some of the mantras that you have heard. Huh? Forgive and forget. Okay? What else? Does the world practice the uh, asking forgiveness? No? What do they do? Avoid? What do they typically say? I'm sorry. Say I'm sorry. Or what's the other one? Yeah, I'm sorry you interpreted it that way. I'm not even sorry, you know. I'm sorry that 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 you're a knothead, basically. That you, it's all your fault. I'm sorry, you know, about, huh? I apologize. That was the one I was looking for, you know. What uh, what do you hear whenever you hear the word apologize? Going through the motions. Okay, going through the motions. Think about the word. Can you think of another word that? Goes with apologize, apology, apologetic. It's a it's a it's a defense. It's it's actually defending yourself. It's not forgiving. It's it's making a defense of yourself. It has nothing to do with biblical forgiveness. Now I understand. I say it. Okay, I say to Tracy, I'm sorry. I say I apologize. It's just part of our lingo. But I don't actually mean what what the world means with those words. But I think it's important to to speak biblically. Whenever you're, whenever you're reconciling, um, it will go a long way. It's a lot harder to go to someone that you have sinned against and say, um, Ryan, I have sinned against you in this way, and I want to ask your forgiveness. Will you forgive me? I mean, that's the process that you're going through. You're identifying what God says is wrong. You're not saying, I apologize, or I'm sorry. You're saying, will you forgive me? It's a question. It's a request. And then now Ryan has to respond to me. And he has to say yes or, or no. Um, so what does it mean if he says yes? Well, look at the definition. Number one, the most common word group for forgiveness in the New Testament is is the word aphiomi. It means to to release or to to let go. The second word group in the New Test in the New Testament, charizomai, means to give graciously. Um, you can hear charis in there, charizomai, it, the giving grace. It's to give graciously. It's not just to pardon. It's not a picture of the warden who really hates the prisoner and loves putting him in solitary confinement and the governor comes along and writes a pardon for him and the warden has to let him go because a higher authority said so. That's not the picture of forgiveness, but that's sometimes the way that we, we treat our wives or our children. Like, I have to let you go because God tells me to. There's a higher authority, but I really would like to keep you here in solitary confinement. Well, that's not the picture of biblical forgiveness. Charisma means to graciously give, freely pardon. Um, graciously and freely. Forgiveness means complete release with extravagant, lavish mercy. It's not a partial release. It's a complete release. And that release is with joy. 
I enjoy letting you off the hook. I, I am taking pleasure in saying, I forgive you. There's, there's nothing else to worry about. Um, that's really, really hard to do whenever you're still stinging from a hurt, isn't it? Um, very hard to do. In fact, as Corey Tim Boom said, impossible to do. You can't do it. But God did, and, and Christ can through the Holy Spirit who's shed his love abroad in your heart. So the genuine biblical forgiveness actually comes from the love of God which has been shed abroad in your, in your hearts. And if you don't cultivate that, we'll talk about how to do that. If you don't cultivate that, then, then that love will be small and it will be much harder to, um, to do what God has commanded you to do. Forgiveness means complete release with extravagant or lavish mercy. Now, I know words matter, and yet I know these words are very common in Christian Christianese, you know. Um, but think about these words, extravagant mercy. Um, what is mercy? Is there a difference between mercy and grace? Yeah. I mean, they both are aspects of what God does, you know, for us. But how would you define mercy? Not getting what you deserve. Okay, not getting what you deserve. That's that's good. Like if an unbeliever said, "Hey, I guess kind of read the Bible. You told me to read John, and uh, you know, I'm reading this. There's word mercy and there's this grace. What's the difference? Mercy is not getting what you deserve, and grace on the other side of that is is getting what you don't deserve." <laughs> Which is, you know, which is heaven. So mercy is, I'm not going to send you to hell. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to, to give you what, you what you deserve. So our forgiveness is not giving someone what they deserve. But there's a qualifying word there. It's to do that lavishly. To do that graciously. Um, Above and beyond just not giving you what you deserve, but going to the opposite uh, extent of that. It's not grudging or, okay, I will. It's delighting in the joy of offering forgiveness. Can you think of a biblical picture? Yes, the, the uh, father and the prodigal son. That's exactly yeah, he right. Ran, ran to him. He did. Luke 15. He did. He did. And think about that. That's exactly the passage I was thinking about. That's that's the picture of the Father. And and who gave that that illustration? It was Christ Himself. And He's giving it to the Pharisees who who were unforgiving people. Why were they unforgiving? Because they had not cultivated compassion and mercy in their in their own in their own hearts, and so he tells them this this story about the kind of forgiveness that they should have. And the key to Luke fifteen twenty and the story of the of the, the 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 two sons that are there that are contrasted. The one is there any question that the the prodigal, as we call him, that that he's wicked? Did he do the wrong thing? Of course he did. I mean, I mean that's the whole point. Jesus tells this story where it's not just he does a little bit bad. He's like 
I mean, he breaks every every possible rule there is um, from God's standpoint, from a Jewish standpoint, from a religious standpoint. He dishonors his father. He wishes he's dead. He he doesn't even do anything good with the inheritance that he gets. He goes and he rejects God. He 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 goes away from the covenant land. He rejects the covenant God. He spends covenant money, if you will, that came from his own father on sinful things. I mean, this guy is an absolute wretch, and then he comes to his senses. God works in his heart, and he returns to repent. And Luke fifteen twenty says, before he even gets there, that's the point, before he even arrives to the Father, before the Father even knows what's going on, before he ever is able to say, will you forgive me? I did X, Y, and Z. The Father sees him at a distance. That's what Luke says. And as Mark says, he runs and practically practically tackles him. Um, that is a picture of lavish mercy. Is that what that man, is that what that son deserved? That's not what he deserved. Um, it's the opposite of what he deserved. What should have happened in a Jewish culture is that man would have come and he would have come to the outside of his father's tent or, or home or wherever it was and he would have prostrated himself or, 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 um, or went down on the ground he would have been in dust and sackcloth and ashes. He would have been showing some outward form of, of repentance, of, 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 of sorrow and mourning for his sin. And more than likely, the father would not have come out. He would have left him out there to do that, to see if he was actually serious for a period of, of time. And then, if he even got an audience with the father one of the things that he had had to have done because he shamed him publicly is he would have had to have went to the town square wherever it is in the middle of Capernaum or wherever and he would have had to stay there for a period of time in sackcloth and ashes almost like mourning like you see in the movies where the, the woman that died her husband dies she has to wear black for a period of time he would have had to go publicly and he would have had to make it very clear that you know, he was really, really, really sorry for, for what he did. Then and only then, he might be accepted back, not as a fellow heir in the family, but as a servant, which is why he says this is what he's expecting. Um, that's what the Pharisees were expecting in that, you know, in that, in that story. I mean, in the Old Testament, the guy had been killed. Um, but that's not what the Father does. And that's a picture of the love of God. Um, that he, he came to us. God does not, the gospel is God not sitting in heaven saying, get smart, come up hither. It's God stooping to us, condescending to where we uh, are at. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While your wife is yet a sinner, you die to yourself and you forgive her and you 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 do that with extravagant lavish mercy which means that you delight 
don't think of the opportunities of forgiveness. Uh, or I should say it this way. Think of them this way. Don't think that you know when your wife sins against you, don't sit there and, or your children or whoever, you sit there and stew about how what they did was, was wrong. Think of it as an opportunity to show her the same grace that you have received from God. Delight, take joy in, uh, in that. Well, look at D. What are we being asked to release when we forgive another person? So when someone comes, someone comes to us and says, will you forgive me? What? And we say yes. I say, Ryan, I've sinned against you in this way. Forgive me. And Ryan says, yes. Um, I'd like to do that. Same mercy that Christ has extended me, I extend to you. He really means it. What is he saying? Well, we can't pardon people for their sins. So we're not saying, you know, I absolve thee. You still got to, you know, he can make it right horizontally, but you still got a vertical aspect. You still have to deal with God. I can't forgive sins. Only God can can deal with the fact of a person's guilt before before him. And so if you're shepherding your wife or your children or whoever it, it might be, when they ask forgiveness and you grant them forgiveness, you model biblical forgiveness to them, one of the things that should take place in that process is you, is you ask them, is ask my kids, <clears throat> of course I have, have you... Have you asked the Lord's forgiveness? Have you went to him? And most of the time, yes, because the whole reason they're coming to me is because they've already been to the Lord. But there have been times when they were little, they said no. You know. So well, that's, that's what we need to do. Well, let's pray right now. Um, you can't take away their sins. They still have to deal with, with the Lord. We can't remove divine consequences from them. If they sin, um, there may be consequences. For those, for those sins, um, and at times God, in His lavish mercy, removes those consequences. They don't come. You can probably think of all kinds of proverbial examples where, you know, the guy's in a you know in a wreck and he should go to prison, but he doesn't go to prison. And there are other times he does go to prison. You know, those are divine consequences, and God's the one that decides what those what those are. You can't you can't remove those. Those consequences. One of the worst things that you can do as a father or a grandfather or whoever else is to remove the divine consequences that may come out externally, outside of your your, your family. Um, you got to let those play out as harder as hard as they are. The Lord may be bringing those to keep something worse from uh, from from happening. So what are we called to release? We're called to release them from any personal personal right over them. Any personal right over them. Um, what are some examples of a right to repay uh, someone who sins against you? Can you give me an example of what would a personal right be? What do we actually you know, forgive? What are you foregoing? If forgiveness is a release, it's to let go, and it's not sin before God, and it's not divine consequences, 
It's you're releasing a personal right over them, and it's a complete release with extravagant mercy. What what would that look like? What what are maybe some examples of a right to repay them that you? exactly right. What are some of the ways that we do that? Did you hear what David said? You hurt me, and what's the natural reaction? Oh, thank you for hurting me. You've given me an, an opportunity to show the forgiveness and love and grace of Christ. Is that what actually comes in our hearts? No? Um, I'm going to give it back to you. And sadly, gentlemen, sometimes in our hearts, we think because it's our wife or our children, I'm going to give it to you twice to teach you you don't do that to daddy or you don't do that to your husband. We do the exact opposite of what Ephesians 5 tells us to do, to love our wives as Christ loves um, the church. So what, what is an example of, of, of retribution? Yeah, Jim? is the put off and the put on uh, uh, aspect and that's in, in one sense there's there's it's instinctual to to want to do that because you're a believer if you don't have any desire ever to do that then you need to figure out whether you're actually a believer but as jim's saying there's a flesh that's there and you're fighting against that so you're killing it you're 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 and then you're putting something off putting something on yeah uh, one of the best ways to do it yep okay is to keep reminding them that they did. That's good. Anybody say ouch to that? One of the best ways to make them pay for what they did is to keep reminding them. Now, you remember what you did. You know, you're bringing it up. Or even reminding them of how you forgave them, right? I mean, that's a way of a backhanded reminding them of what they, of what they, you know, of what they did. What does it mean when it's when God says He keeps no record of wrongs? You know, He casts it as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered again. Does that mean God actually doesn't remember? Like He, you know, He gets amnesia. I mean, God's omniscient; He knows everything. What does it mean when He says it's never to be remembered again? He chooses to treat you like He never did it to Yeah. Or he doesn't forget it. Yeah. It, it it's never brought up. It's covered. It's, it's, it's paid for. There is right now this very moment in the very throne room of God at his right hand a, uh, a powerful illustration of what sin, our sin, costs the Father and the Father's forgiveness. So it's not that he is you know just like the grandfather in the rocking chair. I mean the marks of the slaughter are still on Christ and yet he is our advocate he is he is there, but you'll never find God bringing up your sin to you again because of the one that is at his right hand. And therefore, we do not bring up, if we're going to forgive like Christ, we don't bring up the sin that somebody else has committed against us. And you say, wait a minute, my wife has the memory of an elephant. She brings up every sin I've ever committed 
for the past 30 years. And maybe she does. And that's wrong. And so the way that you help her, shepherd her, overcome that is to model the opposite of that, not one-up her or even remind her of how she has the memory of, of an elephant. The, the, the way that you teach others to forgive is to model forgiveness, is actually to practice it uh, to them. Have you ever been diffused in, in that way? Um, you're going to go, Matthew 18, you're going to confront somebody in their sin and you're trying to do it in the right way, and yet you're amped up about that because they really hurt, and you're not even going the way the Bible says, but you're going you're gonna to tell them what they did, and then they just totally lay down, and they just, oh, wow, you're right. You know, please forgive me. And it just totally diffuses, totally diffuses everything. Um, Pastor, yeah. Yeah, you're saying like somebody actually owes you something and you let it go, yeah. I think you could even go back to Luke with that. You know, the father didn't require repayment of all that's, uh, you know, all that's there. Make any some other examples? Yeah. I think one problem is that often it's more than just hurt feelings. There's yeah. a genuine loss involved. Yeah. And so the issue is who covers that loss? Right. And, and if you're truly forgiving... You say, I cover the loss. Yeah. Out of the you know riches that is, have been lavished yeah. on me from God, yeah. out of that, out of that, I I cover the I cover this loss. Yeah. Covering the sense of throwing a blanket of love over it. Yeah. But whatever whatever it is, I yeah. mean, if it's a financial loss, yeah. I cover that loss. Yeah. If it's, I mean, there are all kinds of losses beyond just emotional hurt feelings. Yeah. And so. Yeah, I think that's the whole point of um, of the uh, the you know your your it's a personal right. Like if 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 someone owes something, you're you're forgoing you know that right to be right to be owed, and so that's what you're talking about, covering it, if you will. You're not requiring it. Yeah, Mark. I think we sometimes get focused on the emotional side of forgiveness, and we want to forgive uh, be compassionate, but we forget that it doesn't work. Unless the one who's forgiven understands that after the word guilt is pardoned. You can't pardon somebody who's not guilty. Yeah. And so a lot of times with apologizing back and forth from the counseling, I see this all the time where they keep, things keep resurfacing, resurfacing because they because the person hasn't really come to grips with their guilt. And when you go to your wife and ask for forgiveness, it 
it's important that you understand the full responsibility and the guilt, and then you can pardon, then you can you know, yep. pay the, the debt, then you can do all those things. But aside from that, that doesn't work. Yep. From a relational standpoint. Yes, from a relational standpoint. So what about if somebody never asks your forgiveness? Do you just not forgive them until they ask your forgiveness? Well, actually, we're going to get to that a little bit later. Tim? One sin doesn't justify another. My wife sinned against me. Me having sins for response is not justified by the fact that she sinned. Yep. I'm still accountable to, my, to God for my response to those sins. If I respond sinfully, how can I ever help her see that she sinned as well? Hmm. That's so good. Yeah, we we can we try to um, we try to deal with things that are above our pay grade. We try to deal with things that we don't have any control over. What do I mean by that? The only thing that you can do in a situation where someone has sinned against you is you do what God's commanded you to do. It's not dependent upon what that other person does or, or doesn't do. They have to deal with the Lord from that standpoint. Now, we're going to talk a little bit later about how do you how do you work through the, the you know restoring a relationship. It's a process the Bible gives to do that. But what do you do if someone never asks forgiveness, never feels guilty or or understands? What should be going on in your heart? Because you're doing that before, you know, before the Lord, as, as Tim just said, it's not dependent upon that. So, yeah. That's good. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> I was thinking as we were talking about this, how a lot of this has to do with the current cultural climate that we're living mm. in now. You know, men are taught that we're supposed to be the ones in charge. We're supposed to be the ones to assert that authority. Mm. And, you know, it's like when you, um, you know, when you're in the heat of the moment, you're arguing with your wife and, and you know, you're going back and forth. You know, forgiveness is the last thing on your good because Jesus already paid for her sin too Um, look at four they no longer have to settle an account with the offended party this is probably a little bit lost in our 
in our day and age, but I can still remember the country store at the corner where my grandparents live, where we still have my parents live now. The store's gone, but there was actually a store account. I can remember going in there and having the jars of candy and my mom or my dad telling me you can have one gumball and you know and a sucker uh, and then that was put on grandpa's account or their account or whatever it is and then once a month my dad would get a bill and you know he would he would pay it it's different than than today this is they no longer have an account to settle with you they don't owe you anything the debt of wrongdoing has been released there may even be a real debt, but it's released. Forgiveness with no strings attached. Well, what does that look like? What does forgiveness look like? Turn to page, page 89. Here's the practice of forgiveness. We're talking about forgiving, cultivating mercy and compassion, the definition, and what's the practice? How do you do this? We talked about this a little bit. I had Stephen read this verse, Ephesians 4.32. The parallel in Colossians. Forgive as compassionately as Christ. And you say, really? As compassionate as as Christ. Well, yeah, that's that's impossible for you to do. So how do you do it? You you focus on what He has forgiven you. You focus on the forgiveness that He has granted. That verse says, just as God in Christ has forgiven you, forgive others, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. And so we all say we have some work to do, right? Luke 17, the verse that I had Mark read, said, forgive as often as you are sinned against. How many times has God forgiven you? I have no idea. <laughs> Way more than I've forgiven my wife, I can tell you that. Because sin is not just a transgression, stepping over a line, breaking the law. Sin is also sin. It's falling short of the glory of God, of the target. And sin is also iniquity. A very despicable word. That idea of this, the disposition of rebellion and and what's going on in our in our hearts. And I have sinned against the Lord by stepping over the line that I knew not to step over. I've also sinned against the Lord by stepping over lines that I didn't even know there was a line there, but there was still a line. I'm still accountable for it. I'm ignorant of aspects of the law. And then surely I've not loved God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I've fallen short of whatever the commands I've strived to do. And even worse than that, what operates in, in my heart is iniquity. And that's the hangover from you know from the from the the fall. Um, and God's forgiven me of all of those. You stand, even this morning as a believer, in a perpetual state of grace. Because of Christ. You're forgiven. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so you forgive others as often as you're sinned against. How many times has God forgiven you? And when you won't forgive, we honestly think our sin against God is less than what someone has done for us. 
Look at C, forgive from the heart. Matthew 18, you know that passage. Well, there's an example of Corey Ten Boom, how hard it is and where you go. You do that by remembering your incredible debt and remembering his incredible compassion. Um, turn to, everybody turn to Exodus 34, 6 and 7. Arguably, the most significant passage in the Old Testament. And if not the one of the top ten, no doubt about it. Exodus 34, 6 and, and 7. So this is after the children of Israel have been led out of Egypt, after Moses went to the mountain and he got the, 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 the tablets, God has revealed his covenant law to his covenant people after they... They were uh, immoral and rejected God at the bottom of the hill. And Moses intercedes before them. And um, God describes himself here. We have a whole Bible where God describes himself. But here is, in two verses, God revealing himself. What does Moses ask the Lord in, this, in, in Exodus 34? He asked to see the Lord. I want to see you. I want to know you. Who are you? Who are you? You really? And so God speaks to Moses and describes himself. What will the Lord say about himself? If God's going to describe himself in two verses, what will God say? Verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. And then the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed. God is going to proclaim something about himself. Who is this God? The I Am. He revealed himself in the burning bush. This is what God says about himself. The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. And look at how Moses responds. Moses made haste to bow low toward the earth and to worship. How does God describe himself? What will he say? I am the creator. I am the holy one. I am omnipotent. I am whatever. God says he is the covenant Lord and he describes his covenant love and mercy. He's compassionate. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. He is overflowing in loving kindness and mercy. Truth, some translations say. And he he provides that, and he keeps it, keeps that loving kindness for thousands. He forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. You figure that out. You focus on that, and it will give you the ability to forgive others. 
You forgive from the heart by remembering your incredible debt and by remembering his incredible passion. It's not hard remembering your incredible debt when you start thinking about what you've done, but also remember his incredible uh, compassion. Look at three. We're talking about how to extend forgiveness, that we defined it. We talked about the practice of it. And then we also know when to when to confront. Galatians 6, 1 through 5. This is the passage about restoring you who are spiritual. Restoring one another. So you're asking the question whenever you're you're practicing Galatians 6, 1 through 5. If I speak up, will it hinder my ability to be long-suffering? I may not, I may not be the person to, to confront in a moment because of my own sin. And B, am I spiritually mature enough to be the one who restores? This is not about granting forgiveness. This is about the restoration process, the other side of the coin. I'm going to grant them forgiveness because of what Christ has given me, but then there may be some restoration that needs to be done relationally or otherwise. And I may need help in doing that. I may need somebody else to be the confronter in order to actually lance the boil so the bone can be, you know, the bone can be reset. If I'm the one who broke the arm and I did it in anger... Uh, I may need a doctor to reset the bone, but I'm still going to ask forgiveness and grant them forgiveness. Am I spiritually mature enough to restore? Um, I may not be the one to actually do the full restoration because I need restored myself. Overcoming the tendency to neglect true reconciliation. So that's what we're supposed to do. There's an attitude of forgiveness. It's perpetually in our heart. And then there's the act of of granting it. This is the relational side. Now, we've got way too much to cover in the last five minutes or so. So I'm going to ask you to, to read this. But he talks here about positional and parental forgiveness or what I would say the attitude of forgiveness or forgiveness in our heart versus the act of of granting it there's a there is a an, an act of uh, of of where in my heart I hold nothing against anyone I freely forgive as I have been forgiven and that's something I'm supposed to cultivate and that keeps me uh, in uh, in the position to be able to do that but then there's the other aspect where there's a broken there's a broken relationship so I want you to turn over to page 91 and look at 4. I'm going to end this way. We're called How do you how do you restore or reconcile a relationship with someone actually sins against you whether it's your wife or your children or or someone else? We're called to demonstrate the restoring, reconciling expression of forgiveness. Expression of forgiveness. Forgiveness is based on what Christ has done for you. You can't forgive their sins. You're not the basis of their of their forgiveness. Christ has already done that to you, for you, and so you freely grant that. But as John, I think, was, was saying, 
there may be something that they genuinely owe you, money or otherwise. When someone injures you, offends you, owes you restitution, you release them from personal liability to yourself. You forgive them the offense. They owe you nothing personally. And you will treat them as if you expect no personal payment. Now, why does he have to say number four there? You treat them as if you expect no personal payment. Is it possible to forgo the debt, say they owe you money or otherwise, and you say you don't have to repay that, but then you don't treat them, or you actually treat them as if they still do owe you? I'm not going to make you pay the money, but I'm going to make sure that you're reminded that you still owe me the money, or that I forgave you the money. But what if they refuse to acknowledge their sin? both against you and against God. What do you do? Well, we can't experience the fullness of fellowship, communion, and joy until we repent, thus others can as well. I mean, you have an attitude of forgiveness. You've forgiven them before the Lord. You hold nothing against them. You, you freely lavish mercy in your heart, but there still may be a broken relationship that's, that's there. There might not be communion. There might not be joy. Um... And so in order to experience, look at three, in order to experience full reconciliation of the broken relationships, there must be an acknowledgement and confession of sin, which is why Matthew 18 is in the Bible as well as Luke 17. When you've already forgiven them by releasing them from their personal debt to you as an expression of God's judicial pardoning for us, that's in the heart, then all that's left to be concerned with are two very important components. And this is what we'll end with. Number one, their broken relationship with God, which you're now part of helping them restore. And number two, their broken communion with you. Not because you demand a payment personally, that's been forgiven. But because mending with you is the primary means by which they restore their communion to God. Forgiveness is not so we can act like God, I forgive you. It's so we can express the mercy that he has given to us and then reconcile them to his mercy as well. You see the difference? When the offender comes to you and desires to acknowledge the offense, they're moving toward purity and holiness in their lives. They're not making a payment to you on a debt owed to you. You have no authority or right to hold anything against them. But because God wants his children to love one another and treat each other with kindness, they need to be restored to you that they might be once again pleasing to God and also cleanse their conscience. One of the reasons that we confess and we repent is to cleanse our, our own conscience. Why is 1 John 1, 9 in the Bible? We confess our sins. He's right. Why is that? I mean, we're telling God something that He clearly knows, right? I mean, when you go confess, you're not saying, "Oh God, when you weren't looking the other night, I kind of did something," right? I mean, He already knows it, knew it before. He died for it. What is the process? Why are you doing that? cleansing your own conscience, it's acknowledging, it's reconciling you relationally to God. It's written to Christians. 
Christians are confessing people and repenting people. It's a participle. It's an ing. You don't confess one time and you don't tell a priest. You're a con- you're, Christians are confessing people. We're acknowledging before God. We're saying the same thing about our sin that God does. And we're repenting. We don't repent. We are repenting. We repent and we are repenting. We do that on a regular basis until we get to, to heaven. And you should want to cultivate that. You should want to help in that process with, with someone, someone else. You don't want to get in the way of that process by refusing it or not practicing biblical forgiveness or extending lavish mercy that's, that's there. You want to be like Corey Ten Boom. Yeah, Mark? Yeah, I just want to say that next to the gospel and our own repentance, I would try to drive this home to people. Yeah, please. Forgiveness is the single most important doctrine for men to understand to keep reconciliation fresh in the home. Mm-hmm. You want to elaborate on that? Well, you know, that we're teaching it, we're, we're modeling it, that yeah. forgiveness is what restores a relationship. I remember Dr. Adams in one of his uh, classes I took said, if people really understood biblical forgiveness, 75% of all mental institutions would, would empty out. Mm-hmm. Because people just don't really understand forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And we as church are so psychologized that we brought in the world Yeah, I think our brother talked earlier about loving your wife as Christ loved the church. How does Jesus treat the church and treat us? Um, and part of that is is modeling. You know, we do that. We treat our wives as Christ loved the church by modeling forgiveness. That should be the aroma of the home. The, the aroma in the home should be one of compassion and mercy and forgiveness. If your children are afraid to come to you and ask your forgiveness or your wife is afraid to do that or doesn't want to do that or that's not easy for them to do beyond the normal, you know, people don't like to acknowledge their sin, you're doing something wrong. You know, God invites us and he says over and over and over in the Bible, come to me, I will forgive you, I will not turn you away, I, I, will, I will cleanse you, your wife ought to know that that's how you are and you cultivate that in the home. How do you cultivate that? When she comes, you you don't punish her for the next week for whatever you know, she did or put strings on there or whatever else is because then you're doing the opposite. You're actually teaching your wife and your children a warped view of God, not, a, not an accurate one. So, good. Well, next week we're going to be looking at peacemaking in the home. Romans twelve eighteen. Be at peace with all men. How do you how do you do that? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the lesson. Um, drive it deep in our hearts. Help us to understand it even to a greater degree. And bless us as we go throughout our day. Help us to be good representatives of you, um, even as we might have the opportunity to lavish forgiveness on someone else. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.